Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm just going to read one small verse and then um, get into it. But um, thank you for your faithfulness to the house of the Lord today. Uh, What a beautiful day. Amen. Man, I love it. I love it. I love it. 1 Timothy 3 and 4 says, One that ruleth well his own house having his children in subjection with all gravity. I want to talk to us today about one that ruleth well. One that ruleth well. And so we're going to take our time and uh, step in and pray and ask God to uh, teach us and to bless us and to strengthen us. And so if you would, bow your head with me right now. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives and our hearts and our, in our minds. God, I, I give you honor, Lord, for everything that uh, we've experienced bringing us here faithfully today in this house, God, that we can hear your word. I pray help me your teacher today. Help me teach this word you laid on my heart. We give you all praise. We give you all glory and honor. We thank you. And in your name I pray. In Jesus' name. Say that name with me. Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to start off with being extremely, extremely clear. Um, um, Transgenderism is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) it is it is so wrong and and it's so sinful and it's it's so fleshly and so is a drug addiction so is homosexuality so is um uh, uh, so is being abusive to uh our spouse these are these are sins okay and we live in a society that is really attacking uh, uh, the culture of what this country was founded upon. And so uh, we are seeing more and more, and I, w- I want to be clear as the pastor of the church and as a church body, uh, that what's going on, we are not for, right? I, I read an article recently Um, that really took my breath away, a shocking report that was issued by uh, an international legal expert with, uh, that was dealing with uh, a Geneva-based commission of jurists. And they were putting together this form, this paperwork, and the United Nations uh, was a part of it. And they were discussing human rights, and there were trying to discuss where to go, what, what are some legalities with this ever-changing and present world. This report is titled, The Eight March Principles for a Human Rights-Based Approach to Criminal Law Prescribing Conduct Associated with Sex, Reproduction, Drug Use, HIV, Homelessness, and Poverty. So discuss all these issues in this one article, and This article, unfortunately, does not actively call for the decriminalization of sex between adults and minors. But it states that children have both the capacity and the legal right to make sexual decisions. When I seen that, I'm like, what is going on right now? I, I, I've seen, I've, I've been around the block a few times. I'm, a, I'm an 80s kid, all right? And I can tell you, um, you know, I know what a VCR is, right? right? I, I, uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm in this weird space where I came in before the internet, before, you know, I was analog, before digital, 
Okay, I'm a, a what I would probably refer to myself as a Xenial, kind of Gen X, partial millennial, right? And so that's kind of where I'm at. In in in, if you're to put a tag on me, but I've seen some things from '80s to to, to today that I'm just like I would have never ever guessed. I would never ever thought. I would never ever in my wildest imagination bet on where we are as a society today. And I want to understand how we got here. And I want to understand like why we are where we're at. And first and foremost, I'm going to make some statements that hopefully you know this, that um, I'm just going to be clear with it. We are not of this world. Amen? We are, we are so not of this world. And so as I'm seeing this world grow more vile and ugly and disturbing and uh, the per- perversion that's overtaking our society and creeping into homes and I'm seeing it so vividly, I am reminded and I thank God that I'm not of this world. Praise God. I'm not of that world. And Jesus says this in John 15 and 19. He says, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And I want us to understand something that this world, as it continues to read, says the world hateth you. Now, we are going to have to take a position soon. And so let me just go ahead and clarify the position. We're not of this world. So therefore, if you receive hate, you're in good position. All right? If you feel discomfort because you're going against the grain of this world, that's exactly how you should feel. You should not be in coercion. You should not flow with what this world is doing. We, we should be so anti-world that we're just levitating. That's how anti-world we need to be. Jesus even says in John 18, 36, he even says this way. He answered, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. This is the moment he's bringing up before crucifixion. And I just wanted to highlight what he says. He says, my kingdom. That's exactly what we're a citizen of. I hope we know that, that I'm a citizen of his kingdom. That I'm not of this world, so therefore I'm of his kingdom. And I want us to understand that this constant uh, pressure, and I mean, you turn on the television, any commercial, you turn on the radio, they just inject it. I mean, you've seen the news, or even our alcohol companies are... <laughs> plastering faces on it. There's agenda being shoved into our faces. But I want to remind myself how you were created. Genesis 1 and 27. Let's read it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, him, male and female, binary. No, it stops there, right? (laughs) Male and female. That's it. That's it created he them. So if we understand if I'm not of this world, then how do I live? How do I guide my life? What are, and I'm a citizen of his kingdom. What are the rules? Well, that's easy. The rules are in this word, right? If we abide by his word, if we live in this word, if we understand the scripture, uh, we're going to be all right. But I want us to understand because we're not of this world, therefore we don't have to participate with the narrative of this world. Romans 12, 2, familiar verse says what? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We really need that. We need a renewing of our mind. And I, and I, I want you to pray about that. I, and I know you hear this verse a lot and it gets, it gets recycled a lot, but I, it's so vital because here's the deal. You can't help but bring dirt from the outside inside somewhere that's clean. All right, I'm just telling you right now, how many of you got a rug right outside your front door, right? And what do you do on that rug? You wipe your feet, right? Or you're supposed to, I should say. 
the whole point of that is that you take off that dirt that you had from the outside before you go on in the inside. And uh, it's so important that we do that spiritually. We have to. You don't realize it. This world is doing a number on us by, by not by great lengths. That's not the point. They want you to start thinking differently. Just a little question here. Just how bad is it if I, they do this? How, how really wrong is it if they try this? I mean, it's not affecting me personally, so what's the big deal? This is the type of stuff that just files down who you really are and who you're meant to be. Look at what 1 John 2 will take us to another familiar verse. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. You know this word. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doth the will of God abideth forever, doeth the will of God abideth forever. But I, we typically kind of stop there and, and we don't really read on, but I wanted to read on just a little bit. 18, little children, he says. Now understand when John writes scripture in his, in his books, little children, when he refers to children, he's referring to the saints of God. He's not just literally talking to little children. Okay. Uh, Maybe he is. And they're the most brilliant little children that can read in a Shakespearean level. <laughs> little children, it is the last it is the last time. Well, let me say it this way. This is the end times. Okay? And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists. And that's something we need to understand. We're all trying to be prophetic and look for one Antichrist. There are many Antichrists, okay? Whereby we know that it is that last time. This is how we know it's that end times. This is by these things. 19, they went out from, from, out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no, no doubt have continued with us. Okay? But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now verse 20. This is powerful. But ye have an unction from the Holy One and ye know all things. Another translation says it this way, and I believe it's the NIV. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. <laughs> so this is who I'm teaching today. I'm teaching the Holy Ones, the anointed ones. And because of that, because you came on a Wednesday, you know better. We know better. Our spirit tells us the anointing that God gave us, the, that thing inside of us, our, goes beyond just saying my conscience. Of course there's conscience, but it's more than that. It's the anointing on my conscience that speaks up whenever I go into a place or I see something before my eyes or I'm hearing rhetoric at work and I'm hearing this, this narrative pushed on my life and I'm like, whoa, this ain't right. Right. And I want us to understand this, that we are coming to a day where being silent is saying something. Right? Being really quiet, not, not rocking the boat, we think we're safe. And we can play that card, but I promise you, they're going to find you, they're going to seek you out, and you will come to a place of decision. We all will. We will come to a place of decision where we are either ashamed or not ashamed of the gospel. And it's so important for us to understand that we need to rely, rely on the thing that God gave us. Use that compass. How, I, 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 don't get me wrong. Some people's compasses are broken. Okay? And how do you fix a broken compass? Well, you get 
to an altar, you get to before God, you repent, you take the word of God at, at its value, its face value. You don't try to, you don't try to uh, dissect it and just use it for your own your own, your own good good and your own doing. And you have to you have to take it all in. And if we have that thing that God gave us. We know what's we know what's north. We know what's truth. I mean, we know this scripture, Ephesians 6 and 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I made that point recently that that's who we're fighting right now. We are fighting high level spiritual wickedness. Okay? And I'm telling you, we have to get to a place where we understand that we have a greater authority than that high spiritual wickedness. That lofty spiritual wickedness that may hold offices that have heavy stamps and do, do special things does not supersede the ultimate authority of the Word of God, and that is God Himself. And if we understand who He is, we understand His calling, His is pricking in our heart if we're obedient to those things if we are faithful to those things I'm telling you that's that's the fight we're in today and I want us to understand that this war that we're in this this spiritual battle I'm, I'm praise God we got more blue shirts today <clears throat> you didn't get if you didn't get the memo it's blue shirt Wednesday <clears throat> the the war for our souls I want us to get this and maybe write, if you're a note taker, write this down. The war for our souls are not fought in church buildings. Okay? They're fought in our homes and living rooms. This is why it's so vital that the scripture keeps talking about the, they met house to house. They were, they were spiritual battling some things. They were battling some things that happened in the home. What happens in the home besides your two daughters screaming at each other? I was up studying in my office and I heard, stop it, stop it, get out. And I knew it wasn't my wife. <laughs> but what happens typically at home, right? What, what, we let down our what? Our guards. And we get a little kind of transparent and we get a little honest and we say kind of what we, what we kind of really feel. We say things that, that maybe don't always align with spiritual authority or we say things that don't always fit into scripture and we, we, we lay out some things that are like, well, let's think about it this way. Let's, let's allow ourselves to be open to a conversation. And I, I just want us to understand that's, I'm not taking that away from us. Okay. I want you to be open. I want you to be transparent. I want your, I want you to have a safe space in your home, but I also want you to recognize the battlefield in your home, that that's why in the book of Acts, it was so vital for them to go house to house constantly because they were they were combating what was going on in their community and, and the lies and the government that was trying to twist things and take out righteousness and inject idolatry and all these types of things. And so it was so vital that they had they warred at home. And saying all that is that we need we we need to have ones that rule well in their houses. And this is how we how we win our fight. And Paul. Getting to my opening text, Paul was writing to Timothy about being a bishop in that, in that chapter. And I know sometimes we're thinking, well, pastor, I don't see myself leading multiple churches uh, anytime soon. Um, maybe this doesn't really fit with me, but let's read what Paul literally says in chapter 3, verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. It's good to desire this. Why? Why is it good to desire this? Because here's, here's a list. It's a life that is blameless. It's faithful. It's vigilant. It's a life that's sober. It's a life that has good behavior. Oh, my Lord. 
It's a life that's hospitable. It's a life that's temperate, charitable, and patient. And most, most importantly, I will say this, it's a life that is someone who rules their house well. And it's okay to want to uh, try to live up to that level. I, how many of you, when uh, you go to work, and I, I don't want you to tell me what you make, but how many of you um, who make over minimum wage will go in tomorrow and say, listen, just pay me minimum wage. Because <clears throat> I just want to live at this bar down here. Right? How are you that type of person? Nobody. All right? But why are we that type of person when it comes to our spiritual walk with God? We should be reaching for the best. We should be reaching to disciple people. We should be reaching to consecrate ourselves for God. I've, say, I've said this before. I mean, I, I want to go to heaven so bad, okay? I hope you do too. But here's the difference between going to heaven for the streets of gold, the walls of jasper, the pearly gates, the mansions, is that I'm not going there for stuff. I'm going there for heaven's Savior. Because when I get to heaven, oh, I'm telling you what, I can care less about how, how pure the gold is on those streets. I can care less about the pearly gates. I can care less about how many bathrooms my mansion has. It's going to have a lot. I can care less because I'm going to be so preoccupied for all eternity worshiping the one who loves me the most. Now, if I have that mentality, why do I struggle here in the temporal to spend just a few minutes with him? <laughs> and why would God ever want to spend eternity with someone who can barely spend 15 minutes in prayer? So I want us to ask ourselves, what are we fighting for and where are we fighting? I hope that you understand that coming here is a good time. It's a good feeling. You, you get edified. Don't get me wrong. We need to be faithful. We're, we're, we're mandated as the day is approaching to come in and assemble with each other and, and, and connect more and do all those things. But I'm telling you right now, the real battle is won at home. It's in your living room. It's within your family. It's within your marriages. It's within your children dynamics. It's where you fight those battles. And I need us to understand that just leaning on the, the pastoral leadership of the church to make sure that your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches have your crust cut off is not going to work any longer. Right? We have to make our own PB&Js. We have to, we have to fight. I have to fight my battle in my home. Yeah. I heard one of my, my uh, pastors preach a phenomenal message recently and he talked about the blood and how it, that blood that was put over the, uh, the doorposts and during the Passover and how that death angel would creep into that, that neighborhood and when it saw the blood and when it seen that blood it just went over it. It passed over it. Therefore we have the Passover right? And if it wasn't for the blood, we would never have done that. But he made a great point that it's not just the blood. It was also the application of the blood. And that how important it is that when you come to the church, that what a preacher and pastor does is that we open the word of God the best we can to open it up as wide as we can to get that blood to flow out, to drench the blood out of the word of God as much as possible to where you're there with a basin and you're collecting that blood. And then what do you do with it? Do you just leave it at the church? No, you take it home and you apply it. And we need to, we understand that's where, the, the, if you read scripture, they didn't say if you apply the blood to the one UPCI church in your city. No, your homes, each home. And I even like how they made space, how God made space that if, if you got someone in your neighborhood who's less fortunate that doesn't have a lamb, bring them in your home. Right? Save another family. 
house to house. <laughs> and so this is so vital for us to get that as frustrated as we all can get on maybe where things are going with our lives spiritually, I need to do something and I do it. I, I need, I mean, this pastor needs to do it. I have to look at myself in the mirror. And I said, you know what? I have to fight my battles in my home. I've got to learn to rule my house well. First Timothy 3, 4. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. So what does a house that is ruled well look like? Well, we see that scripture says that it's one with a family with children who's living in subjection with all gravity. And to kind of break that down a li little bit, subjection is another word for obedience. And this word gravity, it means a few things. It means honesty. It means purity. It means a great deal of reverence and respect. And so what we're trying to see in the scripture, scripture is that our children are to have obedience that have honest obedience, that has pure obedience, that has respectful obedience. And that's what God calls gravity, all right? We call gravity that thing we find at the bottom of our steps when we trip, right? <clears throat> like my mother-in-law did. <laughs> she fell early on in her vacation. And that's all we talked about all week was gravity and how gravity and how we understand it. But it's interesting how God looks at gravity, calls it pure, calls it honest, calls it respectful. And why, why does God call it that way? Because if you look at the opposite of gravity, which is kind of puffed up, heady, high-minded, okay, pride, Okay? You're lying to yourself. You're being dishonest. You're being irreverent. So that's why God calls it gravity. And so here we are challenged today. And what's interesting, and I'm going to read the NLT version of 1 Timothy 3, 4, because I want us to focus on the way they say it. Say, he says, he must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. So the question is, how do we earn the respect and obedience of our children? And I want us to understand, it's, it's right there in the scripture. We don't have to go far. It's literally one that ruleth, ruleth well. One who rules his household well. That's how we earn that respect and that obedience. For instance, let's look at this familiar passage. Exodus 20 and 12. Honor thy father and thy mother. Is everyone in here a child of a, of a parent? I think so, yeah. right? That's scientifically correct. <laughs> Just making sure we're all listening. Honor thy father and thy mother that, they, that, that, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. All right, let's all stand. Time to close. That was it, right? If, if that's all it took was us reading the command and we all automatically obeyed them, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> that's not how it works, unfortunately. It takes more than us thrusting this verse in the face of our children and saying, you've got to obey me. You've got to honor me. Okay? So let's break down <clears throat> that phrase, that one that ruleth well. Interestingly, it's, in two, it's, it's broken up in two Greek words. The first Greek word covers one that ruleth. And it's proistemi. And it means this. It means to set over, kind of like a steward. For instance, you've seen a lot of them. I was telling my wife recently that I think um, if we ever go through another baby season like we've went through, I'm going to hold one baby dedication for all ten moms. All right, just like those big churches do. You ever been to a big church where they do that? No. Really? <clears throat> they do that at big churches. They have them all come up because it's genius because you're going to hear the same thing over and over again, right? <clears throat> Anyhow, but in that baby dedication, for me, if you've caught on, 
One thing I always try to get the parent to understand that a baby dedication really is not a baby dedication. It's, it's, it's a parent being thrusted on and saying, it's time for you to be a steward. Yeah. Okay? Your job is to steward that child because that's, that's your job as one that rules. You're to, be set, you're to set over them. It means to be a superintendent to preside over them. It means to be a protector and a, gu- and a guardian. It means to give aid, to care for, to give attention to. That's what it means to rule. Right. That's the job to rule. Now, if you were to fit that in our modern um, <laughs> vernacular of, of government and say, do, does our representatives rule that way where we feel protected, guarded, given aid, cared for, give attention to? Sometimes, maybe. Depends what your party is, I guess. I don't know. <clears throat> but that's what it means to rule. But what's interesting to me that really jumped out to me is that that word well carries its own word. And it's kalis. And it means beautifully, finely, excellently, well. It means rightly so that there shall be no room for blame. It means nobly. It means honorably in a good place. It also means comfortable. And I like how it says this, to speak well of one or to do good. And so I want us to understand this, that we have a lot of parents that know how to rule we just don't have a lot of parents that know how to rule well. Okay? And automatically, because we've got a lot of parents now, because we have a lot of babies always, automatically, you're, you, you don't matter whether you want to or not, you are a ruler of your house. That's how it goes. Now it's up to you to complete that phrase. It's up to us to rule well. And it's so vital that we answer that call. It's vital that we press ourselves to be that one who is honorable. That one who who not just lives a certain way in here, but lives it out there. I mean, I'm talking about one who cares what they what they look like inside their home, what they care, how they are perceived behind closed doors. That's the type of well I'm discussing here as leaders and parents of our home. We've we've got to be more than parents than just inside the public space. We have to be real parents outside, inside, underneath, on top, wherever we can be. And even we've got to be those good parents when our kids are not around. <gasps> you know what I'm talking about, parents, when you go on vacation a little bit, I'm going to get away from the kids, right? <laughs> I love, I don't know if just humanity, I don't know what it is, but humanity and social media make me laugh. Because I don't know if it's just I've learned this at an early age when I when it started to un- come out and uh, as a youth pastor I went ahead and signed up for a Facebook account and I did it really not because I wanted to do Facebook but just because I got to watch how my youth really was. <clears throat> they would come into youth service and woo praise God and then they would show their real selves on Facebook. <laughs> That's not too far from some parents that I know. And we have people, I'm not looking at anybody. I'm not looking at anybody. Brother Ben gets crazy, I'm telling you. <laughs> but in all, in all sincerity, we have to understand how vital our, our kids are. How they are being indoctrinated by what they watch, by how they're being taught. And what they're paying attention to more than ever is whether we are really being the true, true Christian that God called us to be or we're being a hypocrite. And man, I'll, I'll tell you this right now. There are times my own children go, Dad, that's, they check me. And I'm like, I've got to justify myself around this. Right? 
I'm just telling you, our kids pay attention to how you follow those rules, how you how you live this out, how we truly, you know, if you're going to sit down with them at, at bedtime and, and, and say those sweet nightly prayers, you could do even more by going to your own bed and getting down and spending real time in prayer and getting a hold of God. And maybe just one day, one of your kids will walk by a room with that door open and see their, their parent praying. I want us to understand how important it is that <clears throat> to rule well takes work. <laughs> it takes effort. It takes time. And I even argue that it's, that's even uh, uh, not even the best word time. It takes forever. Right? Because you can't take off. You have to be the real deal all the time. Okay, so here's one thing we can all do. We can be real. <laughs> we can truly love God and not just love him in the open space where people see us. And we can truly grow in relationship with him and have a real walk with God and grow in him and lead our families with, with that, that we, we rule well. We do it in a way that's beautiful, with excellence, with honor, but we also do it in a way I mentioned it means comfort. It's okay. You can be comfortable. I want, I want us to understand that being someone who's sold out to God doesn't mean that you're just going to change your language for the King James Version. Okay? You don't go to Chick-fil-A and say, thus want a chicken biscuit. Fifth. Okay? It's not, that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is to have real conversations with our family and to say, listen, I know I may not understand where you're at, but I have an open ear to it. I want us to understand here. <clears throat> we'll get Romans 12 and 8. To rule well, again, I mentioned it takes work, effort, time, and attention. It says this, or he that exhorteth. And just give you a little context of this one verse. This is Paul making a point that those who are gifted and called to do things need to do things in, in, with excellence and do things with that extra. And he says, he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, do it with diligence. He that showeth mercy, do it with cheerfulness. So we're called, we're, we're mandated, if I can say it that way, that if we're to rule, we need to do it with diligence. What is diligence? Diligence is consistency. Diligence is not taking a day off. Diligence also means haste. It doesn't put off to the side and say, I'll get to it when I get to it. No, it means, it means now. It, has, it carries the connotation of speed. It has to be done. And, and what's it's interesting. It also means speed, but it also means care, right? So you're not just doing it quickly and haphazardly. You're getting to it because it's a priority. Your children, parents, are a priority, amen? amen. Now, that word uh, ruleth also is used differently in Titus 3 and 8. It says this, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that Thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain. That's that, it's the same Greek word for ruleth. And it tells us to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. In the same chapter, just a few verses down, verse 14, it says it again, and let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. Meaning that we are to rule by doing good works, by not just feeding the flesh, by being productive. <laughs> I'm about to get on some people who are some of our fathers here, maybe some young fathers. I'm, uh, listen, I know this is this is speaking of my age, okay? I've <laughs> I've been in that uh, that 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 season where I was analog, I was Atari, okay? All right, some Pong, right? You know if I'm if you're an Atari, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Got that Nintendo, right? Okay, got that Sega Genesis. All right, I moved into a PlayStation. I remember when my kids were born, they were real young. I talked my wife into the fact that we needed an Xbox 360. 
<laughs> Seriously, I did. I was like, this is hilarious. <laughs> okay. Then I came a time, I'm like, I, I realized this. What am I doing? There was a moment, like, I'm, I have this joystick in my hand, and I'm, I'm at downtime, I'm having a good time, just relaxing. But it became more than that. It became something where it's like, no, I can do something that's good, not just wasteful. And so I'm not telling you to sell me your PS5 for a, a much lesser rate, okay? It's not what I'm trying to say here, but if you want to. What I'm trying to say, though, is figure out your priorities today. Figure out the fact that I'm going to have children that are, that are growing up, and guess what they're going to tell stories of? They're going to tell stories about you. Yeah. And what are they going to say? Oh, man, Dad used to get so upset. Not because that, that, that you know, chair that he was making in the wood shop was falling apart. No, because he kept getting killed on Fortnite. <laughs> because he couldn't beat this level. That was my dad. No. I'm just going to tell you what I saw as my dad. I saw my dad go to work every single day. And I saw him come back sweaty, tired, beat down in life in the sense that he gave his best for the family. And I tell you this, try not to cry. <laughs> Grateful. Grateful. Good. Good, good dads that, that fight in the home that understand that you got to rule your house well by being an example that does good work that doesn't just idolate just just allow the world to soak up your time but allow but allow yourself to say you know what my kids are vital my kids are important I will die for them I will be spent for them it, it, I don't have to drive the nice stuff I don't have to wear the latest shoes I don't have to worry about this or that. As long as my kids have food on their table, they have a roof over their head, and most importantly, they know that I love God and that I would do anything to know Him more and that I would do anything to teach them that you've got to have reverence and respect for the things of the, of the house of the Lord. If I can do that as a parent, I'm ruling my house well. Why is this important to me? Because it's vital to me because it's the health of our church. Yeah. I could preach my guts out on Sunday, trying my hardest to get sinners to repent. And, and sometimes I get lucky, and I do. But that's not where the battle is, it finishes. The battle continues in the home. It goes there. And I, and I look at our future church, which is our young people. And I'm asking myself as the pastor of this church, are they living in subjection with all gravity? I, I don't have that answer. I wish I can say with, with clarity, yes, they are. But I can't. Because I see young people who are nervous to raise hands in worship. I see young people who struggle to step out and, and, and fight the peer pressure and say, you know what? I'm just going to get a hold of God for myself. Do you know why they struggle? Because they don't have examples. They don't have parents who lead the way. We need to rule with diligence and we need to rule with good works. We need parents to be just consistent in their walk with God so that our, our kids can see those things and understand that this is how you do it. it doesn't, doesn't mean I'm, our kids are not going to struggle. It doesn't mean our kids are not going to come to a place where they, they might backslide, where they may walk away from truth. That's on them. Okay? You can stand before God, all right, and say, God, I did my best. I lived the best I could to worship you as hard as possible and to teach them diligently in my home. Nine times out of ten, okay, they're going to be in heaven with you. 
But I promise you this, if you don't serve God, if you don't worship Him with all that you have, if you don't prioritize Him in your home, if you don't pray to Him, how are your kids ever going to hear who Jesus is? That's a 10 times out of 10, they're going to miss out on heaven. We need to understand how vital it is to work towards this cause. I want to end with this. We can all stand. Matthew 4, 18. I admire James and John so very much because of their parents. I think highly of them as apostles, especially when Jesus calls them sons of thunder. How cool is that? And I mean, if, if God calls you a son of thunder, I mean, <laughs> that's like superhero status. But I want to talk about their parents for a second. All right. Let's read Matthew 4.18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with dear old dad Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Can I, can I say this is a picture of diligence? The reason it's a picture of diligence is because James and John are found doing what dad taught them. Mending those nets. Okay, that's something that, it's not fun. It's, you know, it's the family business. But it's, it was vital enough for the word of God to make a point that there was the father there also yeah. mending the nets with them that they had an example growing up and showed them and I'm not talking about an example of someone always in the altar praying I'm talking about just doing good right, right? just working hard just just being quality <laughs> and this is this dad he's mending their nets and the sons are mending the nets and I think what I love the most as a father that I am today I can probably speak for Zebedee here there was probably no greater joy to see their sons leave him for him Jesus that had been something that that unction of the holy one that came over him and said you know what there's something about that guy I've done my job I'm grateful that they're going on for greater things I want my children to do the same as much as I know God and love God and I I, sometimes I I lie to myself and I think I know him pretty good (laughs) I want my kids to know him better. I want my kids to do greater works. I, 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 you know, I taught not long ago about girl power. You can look it up, you know, and I emphasized women in ministry. And I do that because I want my girls to understand that. If that's so, that's the calling God calls you to, I want you to be the greatest preacher, teacher, pastor, apostle, prophet, whatever God calls you to be. I want you to do better than me. I want you to have more than me. I want you to leave me for him. That's what it looks like to rule with diligence. And I love mom in this story. Let's go to Matthew 20 and 20. This is what it means to look, do. This is the picture of ruling with good works. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on my right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Of course, Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. Verse 23, he saith to them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom is prepared of my Father. 
Why is, why is this so vital? It's because even, even when James and John were already disciples of Jesus, you still had this parent <laughs> who, gra- who grabbed her sons and drug her before Jesus. And I love how it, it says it right there, worshiping him. That's what it looks like to do good works. It looks like grabbing your kids and going to worship Jesus. All right? Parents, you are allowed, hear me, you're allowed at an altar call to come up and grab your kids and pray with them. Amen. You're allowed to do that. I appreciate that. Sister Joni does that almost every Sunday. She's just, she like, you go to, I go to pray for her and I realize there's like three kids underneath her. She's just like, grabs a kid and throws her on her and they're, they're up there. I do that. Don't, don't stop that. Don't. You have that you have that spiritual right and authority. Why? Because one day, one day when you're gone and you're dead and there's just time around a table and they're sitting down with their kids and they're telling stories of their grandparents, they'll say, I remember I remember I remember them praying for me. I'm in church today because of parents who prayed for me. I'm in church today for a grandmother who prayed for her children. I'm in church today for because of the one who ruleth well in their house. Yeah. My God. I hope you you can feel the gravity on me today. I hope you understand that I want us to be a church that's truly healthy. And a healthy church has uh, has a future in their church. And I'm here to tell you that that's how you how you how you judge success. You judge success by having a successor. And that's what my children ought to be. Our children ought to be successors, continuing not just your name in this world, but carrying the burden that you had in your life, the same love that you had for God. They should be carrying those same crosses, continuing that, that, same, that same lineage, allowing that bloodline to keep on flowing. That's how it works. There's a whole book called the Bible that's focused about from Genesis to Revelation that talks about the importance of how that blood flows through family. We need that so desperately today. Would you bow your head with me? God, thank you. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving me. Thank you. Thank you, God, for godly examples in my life. Thank you, Lord, for a pastor in my life who who didn't cheat on his wife, who who wasn't a drunkard. I thank you, God, for the priest in the homes. I thank you, God, for people who were diligent. I thank you, Lord, for all those. I was I was parented more than just my parents. I seen godly examples in my elders. I seen them. I seen them worship. I seen them come to the presence of God, losing all care of what they look like. I I seen them just sway in the Holy Ghost. God, I seen it with my own eyes. And because I seen it, I was able to do it. I pray, release us, God. I pray, help us as adults and parents in this church to step it up, to, 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 to dive deeper in you, to worship you with our whole heart, our, our whole soul, our whole mind. I pray, God, help us give you our best. Can we do that for a second? Could we could we just thank God for a moment and thank him? Jesus. Thank you. If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit ephesuschurch.com. Thank you for being a part 